You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because unlike the real world, if you break a world you made up, you can fix it. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Marsha Ryan Moreska. I'm Rowena Miller. And this is episode 94, Natural and Supernatural Disasters. It is, it is Happy New Year to us and Happy New Year plus a few weeks to future us when this airs. So, hey, we made it. 2023. Woo! Hurrah! A collective celebration of we <laughs> didn't die. The did world not, did not, in fact, end. <laughs> and I think that we hope this year is perhaps a better one in many ways for many people. But just in case it's not, we thought this episode would be a good idea. So... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to prepare for all eventualities. Yes. We've learned. Yes. Have high hopes for your year, but prepare. We've learned to not to not say to ourselves, no. what else could go wrong at this point? Because we've learned the universe yes. will show us. Has anyone put murder hornets in a book yet? Like, I feel... I'm sure. I feel sure like someone if someone has. started writing them about the time the murder hornets happened, that book will probably be coming out this year. So... Yes, Dear listeners, if you are writing a Murder Hornet book, or if you read a Murder Hornet book, please let us know. Tell us about it. <laughs> that does sound like such a Chuck Wendig jam. It does. Like, it does. I, you know what? I have not read Wayward yet. It is possible Maybe. there's Murder Hornets in there. I don't know. It's entirely feasible that, yeah, that Murder possible. Hornets are a key part of that plot. I would not be surprised. And I'll be perfectly honest. I am still unconvinced that Murder Hornets are not a key part of this plot that we are currently living in and we're just waiting <laughs> For Aww. the surprise re-entry of the murder hornets that Chekhov left on the mantle for us. <laughs> we, we put murder hornets on the wall in Act 1. And they will sting everyone in Act 3. <laughs> At some point. Or save the world. I mean, this could be like one of those, you know, Godzilla versus kind of things I... where in fact the murder hornets save the day. I would enjoy a murder hornet too. redemption story. I would too. I, w- I would take that arc. I would take that. Yeah. That'd be good. That's... Preferable to other kinds of arcs that involve murder hornets. <laughs> I mean, in general, I kind of like the story where the thing you thought was going to be either a red herring or the end to us all. But like, nope, that's actually surprise. That's the thing that saved us. Like, that's that's always fun. But before we dive into that, <laughs> it's a new year. We've all probably got some stuff that's happening. In the near future. Stuff we wrote, not just not just like random stuff. Like, well, yes, I've got a dentist appointment <laughs> scheduled. Our listeners don't want to know about that. I bet some of them do. And, you know, I, I embrace that weirdness. <laughs> but at the same time, I am talking about like we we have stuff, professional-esque we stuff we, we did. That's oh, that right. we want, yeah. we want our, our listener people to know about. Cass, I think you've got something very soon. Yes, the Bloodstained Shade will be out on January 31st. And because Marshall harassed me long enough, there are going to be print editions of Hooray! all three of them again. With the new covers? Uh, with the shiny Woo! new covers. Yes, I, with the I shiny need... new covers. I am... At... I, I need those. You need those? <laughs> at the time of recording, I am waiting on the physical proof copies before I can officially release them Hooray! into the world. But once I have those in my hot little hands, 
then yeah, I made an error trying to do all this over the holidays. So there've been, been slight delays. <laughs> been delays. There've been slight delays. That was that was on me. There's a sort of thing where you put the thing in and then there's nobody yeah. there. Yeah, to process it. But once that happens, Promancing Fire Giveaway Tonight and the Bloodstained Shade will all have print editions very soon, I hope. Are you going to make it that people can also get like a fancy box set in a box of the 3? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know how to do that either, but I so want to do that. So, I suppose we could. You can go to a used bookstore, buy a box, take out a box, books in it, like recover it. This one looks like about the right size. Exactly. You can decoupage it to make it look like whatever you want. You can offer decals to anyone who. That'd be amazing. That would be. fan art. That would be. I might have to do this. You could also just make that be a bonus thing that people can just order the box itself from you, and then like they have the books already and put the books in the box for the I box. Feel like there's a, I feel like there's like, a little, there's like a little song where you put the books in the box in the box and the box. <laughs> no, no, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just saying the box yeah. set thing, like that's, that's that next level thing that like really says you've made it, I think. I'm all for the full box set. Love Someday. It. That's Love the it. dream. Someday. You would need a very large you box would. for yours. That box? Yes. No, I, th- I think you need be... more than one box because I think that a single box would lo- it would lose structural integrity. Like, oh. <laughs> I kind of want to see that though. It'd be like <laughs> like an accordion box. Ooh, you could get like a box of like an accordion and you're just kind of like pulling it out. <laughs> That'd be so cool, but that's <laughs> probably a ways away. Speaking of, I will now announce that on February seventh, I am putting out a novelette. That is set in the Meridian universe called Hultachaya, which is a fun little story about a priest who travels to another country where it's a big holiday in that country. And he's thinking these are just some weird superstitious people and he's going to learn some stuff. Is he going on a journey of discovery? <laughs> he's going on a journey of discovery and challenging his faith. And it's going to be it's it's a hoot. Um, so Yay! Hultachaya is the day that the dead walk. So. Well, that sounds like a perfect book for Lent. Good timing. Yes. <laughs> I don't know I when do Lent what is. I, can. I think it's, it's sometime in late it, February. Late February right? usually right? starts it somewhere. It starts sometime <laughs> in February. So yeah, but February 7th is when that is coming out. Woo! And it'll be available in print and ebook Woo! form. Rowena. Yes, well, um, I have Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill coming out. New date, March 28th. It was March, then it was April, and now it's March again. So March 28th. Joys of publishing. Yes, so it's mm-hmm. it's now a, a smidgen earlier. So if, you, if you've already pre-ordered, lucky you, you'll get it a full two weeks earlier than you thought you would. And if you haven't pre-ordered, you can. Why haven't you? Why not? You should have. You can do that. <laughs> Damn it. You can do the thing. So we have now given you... Dear listeners, several things to do. Go do all those things. Your mission. Yes. Should you choose start, to accept? I see, I'm seeing a lot of like, give me book recommendations for my my New Year's reading goals kind of um, memes going around. So I think we just did that. <laughs> we just yes. gave everyone book recommendations for the new year. Yeah. Nicely spread out too. One for, one for each exactly. month of the first quarter. We got you covered. There we go. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. We're so Glorious. smart. And... We are. <laughs> we are so smart and we do things correctly. So now let's, let's destroy just tear it all, it all down. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about disasters. All right. So 
I enjoy them. <laughs> well, I feel like the fun thing with fantasy disasters, right, is that you've got you've got any natural disaster that you can imagine. You can plug it into a fantasy world. And then you have all of the, like, magical disasters that you can layer on top of it. And you can even beef up your natural disasters, like, with magical elements. But I feel like the kind of fun thing is you can also have disaster response that layers in your fantasy elements, right? Like, so it, there's, a, there's, there's a double-edged sword here. Magical FEMA. <laughs> exactly. And we hope that, that they're better organized than sometimes in, in, in the past our own bureaucracies have been. But they don't have to be. Because because wizards so, so well often organized. are better yeah. organized. <laughs> they work together so well. It's such a common theme in wizard stories is organization yes. and cooperation. <laughs> <laughs> and sharing information freely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, when we were kind of talking about natural and supernatural disasters as being a, a topic we'd like to dig into, one thing I was thinking about was like, okay, so, but what would disaster response look like in some of our favorite fantasy worlds? And, and I have a couple to ask you about to kind of get us started for some fun brainstorming off the cuff. So imagine... I saw this in the notes and I'm excited. that um, a tornado <laughs> hits Gondor. There's at least one wizard present. Like, what does disaster response look like, right? Okay, first of all, like, what part of Gondor does good, it hit? That's a good question. You know, like, is it tearing yeah. up the farmlands or does it, like, smack straight into Minas Tirith? Because that's, those yes, are different so, I mean, I, I'm thinking, problem. like, we're talking about a real disaster. So we're, it's like an F4, F5 tornado. I'm, I'm thinking it, it maybe maybe it's it's clipping the city in some way, right? I, I don't think it oh. could survive a full-on, like, I mean, if it full-on impacts, I think that kills the tornado, right? Or is it, like... A magical Ooh. level tornado that's does it go to F six because oh. there's magic or like is, is that, that a thing? <laughs> and is that a thing? And yeah, is Minas Tirith like sturdy enough? I mean, it's pretty sturdily built. Like that's its entire purpose is to be this big sturdily built thing. But man, Can tornadoes because even, just... even if like the rocks themselves don't move, like you still have all the like stuff. The stuff, stuff in it. it. I can just yeah. imagine yeah. like the stuff in a city built like that just getting just totally like all the doors pulling off and the doors and, and roofs and livestock. You can have that like twister moment with like cows and horses and stuff. Just kind of... Are there designated shelter areas in Minas Tirith? I would, I would think that you would have designated. I don't. I don't remember that actually. But I think there must be, because during siege, I think they pull back into certain areas. Yeah, they right. pull everyone. And I would think you would have to right. see the tornado you coming, because you've got, you've got Pelennor Fields in front of you. So it would have, I mean, that's, that's a big open space that the tornado would probably be approaching from. So you'd see it coming and you could pull people back. So we know that they have like early warning systems of some kind in Minas Tirith for like sieges and things like that. Do they use them also for weather, severe weather? Is it is it the is it the same well, they or is should. it like different horn blasts? Like do you get like <laughs> like a long short short that's like <laughs> I love this because like it, it, it should be true. It should. But if it is, it implies that like The beacons you know, are lit. No, the exactly, other like, beacons. The other, the other, be- other... No, the other ones. <laughs> that school children or something must get taught what yeah, these things mean. Right. Everyone growing up learns. This is one, this means Nazgul. One long this horn means blast. <laughs> Nazgul and orcs. <laughs> there is a big question of like, is a tornado or an ev- or a severe weather event like this, is this 
a tornado in Kansas where they're like, yeah, that's going to happen. Or is it a tornado in Maine where they're like, what the fuck is it? I, I would have to go back and look and I have the books right behind me. I could like, like map to kind of, but I feel like yeah. there's a lot of big open flat space. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, like around it's here, very Kansas. It could. it could. It could be a thing. See, it, I feel like it, Rohan might be more used to, to that kind of severe weather than, than Gondor. But I could be wrong. I can't remember. I mean, they're up against the mountains. They're yeah. like the the improbably right angle mountains. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. But I feel like I feel like I, I enjoy that. Really, the the disaster response in Minas Tirith would rely on a lot of infrastructure that would have just kind of been there already. Yeah. yeah. You know? Right. You know, we don't see a lot of weather in Lord of the Rings, except like the snowstorm mm-hmm. on Caradhras, which is implied to be at least partially supernatural yes. like the mountain itself is pissed at you and trying to shake you off we, we don't rain. see a lot of other weather there's yeah. rain yeah i remember a lot of like it is wet and we are traveling and unhappy now is that infrastructure in gondor is that as top-down reliant as it seen as the infrastructure of defense seems to be where if a Denethor or other similarly placed asshole can just go like, that's not a tornado. I've seen real tornadoes. It'll that's be fine. Not, it'll be fine. We do not have to blow the horns. And just like that sort of top down yeah. decision screw up all the. I mean, I think that is something fair to think about. Like who is designated to do this and have they like. Because I remember we had a superintendent and that was the person who made the final call in our school district on if it was a snow day. And she like, she never called snow days. Like she just didn't believe it was bad enough. I don't know where the hell she was from, but it was like, it had never snowed enough for, for Vicky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my school district was like the one in central New York that was always the last yeah. to close. So I mean, there is an element of personality <laughs> here, right? And like, do you, right. is your infrastructure set up such that it, it can override that one jerk or is it very reliant on having can a small hobbit pull the cord that sets off the, <laughs> the tornado sirens right and if so does that happen a lot just like as a prank because you don't want that either <laughs> no no like, like damn it not again well i like relying on the infrastructure you did also mention though that there's at least one wizard visiting yes so what I was, like, does, what does our does wizard that, do how does that change things if you have a wizard it depends who the wizard is. This is true. I mean. Yeah. Not not a jerk. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real. I am super unclear and always have been on exactly how the powers of the wizards in Lord of the Rings work. I feel like it's a they work well. It, it's like it's not even like they aren't even doing anything magical half the time. It's that like a wizard said something, so we will listen. Sort of situation, <laughs> which could actually be quite handy. In yeah. a in a disaster weather situation that you've got someone who's like, no, we're doing this. Well, and the words do seem to affect the natural terrain sometimes or like natural creatures, certainly. So like, I don't know, does Gandalf know the magic word that sends the tornado in Somewhere a different else. direction? Yeah. Or like. Or busts it up. Simmers or... it down. I don't know. I don't know either. I can picture some cool special effects around it. Oh, yeah. But... Rings of Power has, like, them doing fire things. And if you could suck up, like, fire power, I bet you could also suck up tornado power. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a different franchise, but if you've got people who can airbend, then tornadoes are not a problem. Well, and, then, and then you have the question of, like, then can you use tornadoes for whatever purpose you 
you need. Do your wizards have tactical tornado power? I mean, yeah. <laughs> or or just like, you know, like water spout power. Like we're going to pick up some water from over here and we're going to move it over here where we need it. And we need a tornado for that. So yeah, we'll just, yeah, sure. Or we'll pick up some water and some sharks and we'll sharknado attack. Sharknado you. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Rowena regrets giving us this scenario. <laughs> I mean, as dumb as that, I mean, it's a stupid franchise, and it's a franchise that involves six movies and time travel for some reason. But, like, it is basically like, what if disaster plus another disaster to be super disaster? Because <laughs> tornado's bad, shark's bad, a sharknado. <laughs> and we can mine this for so much. I feel like it should be the sharknado. Excellent. <laughs> I like sharks. I okay. I've never watched the Sharknados, but just on the premise, I feel bad for the sharks. Oh like, yeah, yeah. They don't. They didn't ask for that. No, like, they, they did not. That's why they're mad and being very bitey. Because you know. Well, I don't blame them. I'm I'm on Team Shark then. <laughs> yeah, I'd be mad and bitey too. I mean, I'd me get, too. <laughs> I'm mad and bitey for a lot less than that. <laughs> okay, we've gone to a very silly place, and which I approve of. We have, but, however. So I mean I just I thought it was just it was fun to play with that to play with both the um, the disaster itself and how can it be magically enhanced and magically addressed and non magically addressed, um, but yes I think I think like folding natural disasters into fantasy world building it's interesting because you've got a lot of world building already laid if you know what kind of disasters are plausible like we just did we're like mm-hmm. well is a tornado like like where would that be likely to hit. Gondor, Rohan, where? What would its path likely be? How would that work? Like, if you can do that in your world, you probably know how things work pretty well. Do you have issues with typhoons or issues with droughts or issues with what? What's? I mean, you put this yeah. as one of the other potential ones Volcanoes. that came out of flooding in Jan Loon. And while it's never explicitly a plot point in any of the, any of the Green Bone Saga, the idea that Jan Loon could have torrential monsoon rains and thus everything floods or that it could have get hit by a tsunami and everything floods like like this is this is very plausible things Mm -hmm. to happen and i feel like we don't tend to see this sort of natural disaster as plot points in fantasy books because i feel like then like that would be what the plot of that book is fundamentally about yeah, like when we see natural disasters, they usually have been right. caused by yes. someone. You they're know, like magic, they're magically the the the, the wizards the the wizards attempted something they shouldn't have, or they delved too deep, or you know, um, they've never quite made it explicit. But in A Song of Ice and Fire, the doom of Valyria is implied mm-hmm. to be something about basically wizards fucking around with volcanoes and setting off a thirteen. 13- <laughs> chain volcano oops <laughs> like 13 volcanoes going off at the same time that's a big oops that's oops. a big oops that's and i feel like a lot of times when it is the plot of a book it's like oh right. we have to stop this from happening like we have to get to the mm-hmm. place before they set off the device or or whatever but you don't see a fantasy novel that's just there's a hurricane and we have to survive and get our loved ones out of there that could be a whole plot, but... Yeah. which And it's <laughs> interesting because honestly, like, 
and yeah. and, a, and a plot complicator too and i think that we see that in non-fantasy fairly often like in serialized tv and things like that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. have a problem and now the problem is much worse because there's a hurricane or there is a power outage from a storm or there is a blizzard. And I think that there is actually a lot of room yeah. within us to kind of layer those things yeah. that, you know, we had we had a problem <laughs> and now we have a bigger problem because <laughs> of these things that, I mean, honestly, it's quite realistic that we deal with all the time, right? I mean, just dealt with blizzardy uh, things this yeah. past couple of weeks, right? I mean, this is just part of life. One good example in sci-fi, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. the original movie. A lot of that plot hinges on the fact that they're getting clipped by a tropical storm at the time everything goes down, which is like why they can't like they don't have telephone access. They don't have all these things like it is it is part of the plot. It is not the whole plot, True. but it does affect what the characters are able to do. Yeah, it adds that layer of unfortunately and even more unfortunately. <laughs> One of those things that, you know, we, we sort of say, like, as you're writing, like, you know, like, what's the worst that could happen to your characters? Go ahead and throw it at them. Like, natural disasters fall. The Jurassic Park also, it, mm-hmm. it more follows mm-hmm. the rules of a horror story, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like one. And along mm-hmm. those lines, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is a typical mm-hmm. horror story trope of, because of also X, yeah. we are stuck in the place where the bad is happening and can't just drive away. Right. And that's, I mean, I think that's often a critical element of that. You you said, like, it's a thing that works more on episodic TV, because I think is a, by the way, we're also adding a disaster, is a thing that works better in a story structure that is episodic. That it can be like, meanwhile, in this episode, there's also a blizzard. Then we're going to go back to the regular story in the ne- in the next episode. Plus, TV shows need that for Sweeps Week, which books right. don't need. <laughs> right. Is that still a thing with streaming television? Is Sweeps certainly, still a thing? Certainly with streaming, That's a very no. 90s I sentence not, I just said. Not the way it was. But like, there still is network TV. There really is. Is there? And let me tell you, like, so much of the bread and butter people of what's watch still on network TV <laughs> is basically like hospital shows, firefighter shows, and cop shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and Oh, my dad watches this. And, yeah. Yeah. Things your dad watches. <laughs> yes. Things my dad watches, at least. I mean, my dad got me into Chicago Fire, so there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, and those rely on... We're having our drama of, like, this person is sleeping with this person, but also sleeping with this person. And then we're going to have a serious conversation, and like, oh, the bell went off, we got to go save people. So so we got to put a pin in this conversation. And, mm-hmm. that's, and that works in episodic television. I don't know how well that necessarily works in a novel, though. Now... I mean, the idea of writing a fantasy firefighter novel, like you know, secondary world fanta- yeah. firefighters were <laughs> constantly dealing with crises as well as. Well, I wonder if that again hits our, our conversation about, you know, like plot. Yes. Plot dependent genres versus aesthetic dependent genres, because yeah. I feel like, you know, mystery novels also often depend on. Oh, the bridge is washed out because of the storm. <laughs> therefore, we're all stuck at this manor house. Um it, natural disasters tend to be, when they are used in fiction, right. plot-centric in that kind of way, as opposed to, like you said, being yeah. sort of like incidental to other things. So I wonder if they just haven't always fit into right. the fantasy genre as well, except for things like, um, you know, the Broken Earth trilogy. Right. 
where it's absolutely central, the disaster. Yeah, well, and I was thinking, too, of Critic Arouse. Um, I was, yep, that's say. Surviving Sky, that, that I mean, it, it's kind, it is, I mean, disasters, natural disaster kind of is central to the plot. Um, and the aesthetic. Or, yeah, <laughs> and our, our conversation a while back with Brandon Crilly about yeah. um, climate fiction, cli-fi. So, like, that genre depends a lot on disasters or the threat of them, at least. Yeah. The, I think the interesting thing about aesthetic, too, is that, you know, we think of we think of the elements of aesthetic as sometimes being separate from plot when in reality like they, they do kind of mesh up together and there is an element of natural disasters that has aesthetic to it because what disasters fit the space and the the world that you're writing about and if you're writing something that's very you know aesthetically leaning toward like say like a you know jungle environment and it's you know you're Mm -hmm. really leaning into like the green hot you know oppressive well monsoon rains might fit into that and flooding might be a huge part of that world and you can like kind of play with that sliding scale of that's part of the world even if it's not central to your plot because depending on what you're writing and who you're writing about and what kind of a place you're writing about different different natural and unnatural disasters are like part of the world that people live in i'm remembering a cheesy movie from the 90s where the plot was basically about a cop trying to stop a jewel heist that was happening during a hurricane because the jewel heisters were like this is the perfect moment where nobody's going to be around to stop us and so that is certainly a plot that could be easily transferred to a fantasy genre where you know because heists work yeah. in fantasy mm-hmm. so very well. I guess for me, I think part of just the challenge of that is by their very nature, natural disasters become a very consuming thing. And so mm-hmm. it feels like that's what your plot is essentially going to be about, if that's what's there, rather than like, oh, and we also have to yeah. overthrow the evil king or whatever. Though at the same time, if you're, if you're doing a true like chunk of an epic fantasy novel, you might have room for it. You know, yeah. as a as a, a subplot right. that's playing out alongside, and also just I think as a something to consider in your world building. Yeah, what kinds of disasters do these people have to prepare for? How does their worldview change because of the of the kinds of disasters that they, you know, in their lifetime can expect to live through or have lived through, or not? I mean, like we kind of talk about how it, you know, like y'all get an inch of snow and it's like <laughs> and it's apocalypse what the hell just happened everything stops we're like up here kind of like oh got a foot okay the plows will be out in a little bit you know and it's just the the worlds the worlds are very different and how they prepare and consider what is a normal mm-hmm. disaster as opposed to a real disaster yeah yeah what is the like you know a hurricane's coming like oh that's just a two. Yeah, and what, like, I'm not leaving. I'm for not that. leaving for a two. And what, like, what would be a disaster for your for your world if they weren't preparing for it? Right. For your people if they weren't preparing for it if they didn't have the infrastructure in place? Because the only reason that you know six inches of snow it doesn't shut down a city is because there's plows and salt and sand and all these things in place. Whereas it, I don't care how used to the cold you are, if you don't have that stuff, you're still not 
right going anywhere with a well that was that was the problem in in buffalo a couple weeks ago wasn't it that like i mean they certainly have all that stuff Mm -hmm. but the snow came so hard and so fast that the plows got stuck the emergency equipment keep up yeah got stuck it was it was a significant enough event that it went even beyond their preparedness but when you think about like just all the kinds of stuff that we we probably don't even think about as much but places that tend to have tornadoes tend to have basements yeah, yeah, places that tend to have flooding have architecture that's designed to deal with that. Places that tend to have heavy snowfall don't have flat roofs, or at least they didn't <laughs> until we could build roofs that could withstand that, you know? <laughs> so I think that, you know, there's there's this threat of disaster wiping us out kind of constantly. And, and what is that for the place that you're writing about? And how do the people cope? Right. Like, oh, yeah, the floods are going to happen. High tide here is really high tide because we have three moons. And so therefore all the houses are built on stilts and and are 10 feet off the ground. On stilts, yeah. That's the normal thing. And so you design that into the structure. Or we have a ton of hail every every spring. So therefore our roofs are built with, you know, extra stone because the hail is kind of calm. So... And we don't, and our, and then our agriculture follows the the hail cycle, and we don't plant. We don't until plant after. until after the until after the hail is done. That'd be fascinating too, because like if that was if that was a really common occurrence, you would think that they would eventually transition to other ways of of dealing with it. Like their sidewalks might and their roads might be covered. You know, their cities mm-hmm. might be essentially entirely roofed. <laughs> Or at least like have like extendable roofs or something to, to allow people to still go about their business even when the hails come. I'm thinking about a lot of the cities in the north. And uh, Minneapolis, I know, is one because I was bewildered the first time I went there that the way they prepare for extreme cold weather is they've got those gerbil tubes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. In between buildings. <laughs> and I had never seen this before as like a city-wide thing that like, wow, the entire downtown is linked by these gerbil tubes so that you don't have to go outside when it's cold. That's... I hate where it. Where did they do this? But good for y'all. It's Minneapolis, and apparently it's a bunch of other cities, like where yeah. it gets really cold too. And there are there are non insignificant number of uh, university campuses that have underground tunnels. Whoa. For when oh, yeah. the the weather's when the weather is really bad, it's really cold, really snowy, and that way you can get from to, get to class just through the tunnel. Wow! I never want to live someplace that's that cold. And then many campuses <laughs> just have rumors of tunnels. But are there actually tunnels? Man, I looked for William and Mary's all the time, and I never found it. We have one, but no one knows where it is. I think I know where at least part of it used to be. But At Penn State, there were some, but there was rumors of a much more intricate network than anybody actually knew. Mm. I knew our building, at least, had these locked doors in the basement that nobody had answers to of, like, what's behind that locked door. Mm. But no one knew. It was a mystery. Probably either a tunnel or a vortex to another dimension. Either way, I wanted in. And you didn't want and you didn't <laughs> want undergrads wandering into either one. I wanted to wander into either one as an undergrad. Of course, we all do. We all do. <laughs> but universities have to worry about liability and all kinds of stuff. It's lame. Yeah. See, we always come back to money one way or another, but mm-hmm. like what is your insurance underwriting like? If you live in a place with magical natural disasters, like it will, will the, does the insurance company just like flat out refuse to back buildings within a certain radius of the wizard's tower? Like, (laughs) nope. 
Nope, sorry, you're taking you your risks you know there. You can you can buy that, but the insurance is going to be nuts on it. Like I don't yeah. think you want yeah. to. It's like a floodplain. Only <laughs> this is this is the wizard plane. This is like magical fault lines that are like, no, sorry, don't build there. We can't get any insurance. Act acts of God. <laughs> acts but of <gods>. really, <laughs> that guy comes down every year. He's a dick. Messes everything Just... Nope. Do not have a Zeus rider. Thought of like medical insurance and someone is pregnant because of Zeus, and then it's just like, sorry, you're not covered for eggs. You're not covered for eggs. <laughs> for acts of God. I bet women in Greece would have leapt at the chance to add a Zeus rider to their insurance. <laughs> just cover that. Especially if it also covers you against um, Hera based revenge. Yeah. Right, like, right. Because not only do you have to have the medical coverage for, you know, the first act of a god, but then mm-hmm. you know, the accident coverage for the second. I got attacked by a goose and turned into a cow. Why are you also mad at me for this? <laughs> <laughs> but that brings up a great point, which is, if a natural disaster occurs in your society, what do your people think of that? Where do they think it came from? How much science do they understand? How much metaphysical science do they understand? How much is religious? How much is hypothesis? And does that vary based on whether it is the disaster they anticipate versus the disaster they did not see coming? I have to admit, I've always had a little bit of a, but really for the, um, when when you have the fantasy culture that it's just, they believe that everything is just the will of the gods. It is just an act of the gods and we don't understand anything. And we just, because I'm like, because people aren't like that for the most part, at least for the, the regular gamut of disasters. Like they have a collective memory and observational skills and can kind of put these things together and probably in some ways understand just what to expect out of their climate and their geography more so than even we do sometimes, you know, for all of our weather apps and, <laughs> and, you know, we don't have, you know, they have those, those kinds of memory and skills. And this means that when, when you see the squirrels acting like this, watch out because an earthquake is coming. It happens every time. At the same time, if a society like can recognize those signs, whether they're like an earthquake is coming because of this or they're saying an earthquake is coming because Vodka the Destroyer is doing his thing (laughs) that he always does every fucking Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) If they're recognizing what this is, does it necessarily matter what they attribute it to i mean in terms of like society like if they're then saying that means we have to like sacrifice 13 teenagers again like maybe maybe that's bad (laughs) well and this comes down to the nature of your world doesn't it like are the gods an actual present force in your world that that might literally have to be placated or is it um you know social cultural how do do they actually yeah do they actually converse with the gods that are doing these things or is it is it the way we experience things? Can they tell the wizards to fucking knock it off, please? <laughs> like every time you do this ritual, our city floods. Could you please stop doing this ritual or go do it someplace else? And that kind of like gets into like the you know how does how does your your society like what is the balance between magic and controls on that magic and are there laws against things and 
Do, in fact, the magicians have limited power in some way or another that they can be told? Don't do that. That's, (laughs) no. You caused an earthquake last time. You're not doing it again. It's not happening. I have, I mean, this hasn't really come up because large-scale war hasn't come up in any of the Meridane books, but within the world building, there's a thing that, like, according to the rules of war, having actual mages fight in the war against each other is not allowed. It's just no, because of the basic principle, like when you have a bunch of mages all throwing magic at each other, you're going to break some shit <laughs> and nobody needs that. So just, you know, it's, it's bad for all sides. So just don't do it. Just don't. Just don't. Just don't. Please don't. Well, then you also have the element of if you have magic in your world, whether or not it is causing disasters to happen are you able to use magic to predict or ameliorate disasters in some way like do you have prophecy or augury mm, or something mm. that you can say well this year's hailstorm's going to be real bad we better really? you know really shore things yeah. up and if so are those people listened to when they say is it, yeah is or it, is it just the mad old soothsayer <laughs> Is it, is it part of the official infrastructure of your world in which you have a phalanx of prophets who actually are listened to? Is it just the Cassandra News Network where every day... And they kind of like... And, and then they calibrate them and they're like, well, we have 12 of them and we've got about a 7.5 average coming from them on how bad this is going to be. So we're really suggesting that you go to the store now for your milk, bread, and eggs because it's looking like a very bad magical fire hailstorm. How, and how do people prepare for it if they do know it's coming? An idea I've been playing with in, in the world I'm working in right now is the idea of the, um, like the witch lights being a communications system across the city that has, you know, like some, you know, just normal day. But there's a certain light for the plague lights, which say, you're at this, this section's under quarantine. And the way you know is that these lights go off. Or there's a storm incoming, different color light. You know, the lights change to a different a different hue and it's like, oh, well, better batten down the hatches because we see we see the storm lights. We see that happening and it's a way to disperse the information quickly. I'm not sure how much I'm using it yet, but it was an idea I had. And, yeah. I, no, like and I like that question, too. Of then like, oh, so what recourse do your people have? Do you yeah. have hatches to batten down? Yeah. <laughs> would you would you want to know that the storm is going to be really bad if there's absolutely nothing you can do about it? And, you know, what what kinds of what kinds of things can you do? If you live in an agricultural society where the number of eggs you get from the chicken coop that day is what you get, you can't go to the store and buy more milk, bread, and eggs. You can go to the fruit cellar and pull some up in case you, you need some preserves later, but, you know, there's only so much that you can, can do. It's more of a long range. Make sure that you have things stored in case of emergency instead of a last-minute run to Seven Eleven to pick up a <laughs> gallon of milk the way that we do things. Yeah, and in worlds where that isn't the norm, or like where the city as a whole might have stores, but what happens then if the tornado hits your granary? Like, are there other cities nearby? Do you belong to a larger nation that can render aid? Is that part of the concept of your culture? Or is it like, (laughs) nope, God's decided to screw you. You're on your own. Yeah, I mean, who is kind of, who is responsible for the aftermath, the preparation for and the aftermath of a disaster? Are you on your own? Do you have a community of people who kind of all band together and pitch in? Do you have, like I said, a larger society that has something like Fantasy World FEMA that they can 
pitch in. Dispatch. Do you have do you have international aid where you have like international aid societies that that deploy for national disasters? Majors without borders. Major borders. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, like that's actually a great concept. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why hasn't somebody just written that book with that title? I mean, yeah. Honestly, that would be like I mean. It wouldn't be cozy fantasy, but it would be that kind of like, I don't know, almost lower decks feeling where like somewhere there's some hero doing a thing. But this book focuses on the people who are dealing with the carnage left behind. Fuck, I have to write this now. (laughs) (laughs) Add it to the list. God damn it. I don't have enough on my plate. I feel like another fun place, fun. Natural disasters are always fun. I mean, they um, are dramatically fun. Let's... In the abstract, yes. In the abstract. But one place that actually I think is kind of fun to consider in in a world building, a culture element of it is is that abstract part of it of like, how does the culture story tell about disasters? Like, to what extent is that part of like, you know, everyone's sitting down after dinner on, you know whatever holiday and you start telling stories about, Oh, where were you in that big blizzard or whatever? Um, like what's the oral history or written history or whatever about, about disasters. And does it eventually turn into legend and myth? I mean, we have spent thousands of years trying to figure out the legend of Atlantis and if it is tied to an actual natural disaster of an Island, you know, not sinking, sinking, but I think the current prevalent theory is that, I forget the name of the island, but that it blew up, that that there was a volcano, that mm, there was an island there, there was an island. then there wasn't, and then there wasn't anymore, <laughs> which can happen. So does does the story of a natural disaster, you know, a thousand years later become some huge mythic element in the world? Do they have those? Thinking of the story Nightfall by Isaac Asimov, where the concept is set on this other planet where there's six suns and... Because there's six suns, it's never dark. That is too many. Yeah. It's too many well, suns. It's never dark. Dear Miss Dear Mr. Asimov. <laughs> too many suns. Too many suns. But because of like the nature of their orbit throughout the six suns and the fact that there is a eclipsing moon that they don't even really know about because six suns. Once every <laughs> two thousand or so years, there is night, which they are not mentally equipped to handle. (laughs) And that would really panic you. Yeah. In the case story, there is all this sorts of levels of myths and legends. And some of it is like dismissed as like, that's just this weird religious cult who believes in these stars, whatever they are. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that's not real. That's not what's really going to happen. And then, like now we have done some ar- archaeological work and we have noticed that there's just every you know we've where this old city was we found layers every so it looks like every 2000 years there's just a layer of everything burnt i don't know why <laughs> but it, it is a thing of, of them, like the the longer novel length version of this story it has this thing of these different groups each of them with their own little piece of the puzzle of what actually happens to them slowly trying to like figure out wait 
something bad is coming, and it's coming like <laughs> next week. <laughs> now. <laughs> And you know, and the funny thing is that like if if nightfall only occurs for a short period of time that we're not talking like it's night for months and everything dies, like it's 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 actually not a problem unless you make it a problem, right? Unless everyone panics. Yeah. <laughs> that is the core of the story, is that everyone panics. <laughs> but there are plenty of things that are kind of that are kind of like that. I mean, like, if you if if you know, total solar eclipses are fairly rare and if you're reading into them a certain way could be perceived as a disaster yeah we just think they're cool and we get the little fit like glasses and go out and look (laughs) at them but you know if if you didn't know what they were you could perceive that as we narrowly missed death the sun went away something ate the sun (laughs) and somehow it came back but that was was close and I love close. that because, like, solar eclipses happen fairly regularly, but they don't happen in any one area, but so often. And so it never happens often enough for most cultures to start tracking them and, and noticing that it is a regular thing because you just can't see it that often. And that's why all these different cultures independently develop the serpent swallowed the sun type myths or, you know, the sun goddess went to her cave and hid type myths because it happens everywhere but not frequently enough in any one given location to to cross that line from disaster to predictable right <laughs> disaster which is i feel like there's a lot of things that kind of fall into the category of like this is this is disaster if you don't know what's happening to you <laughs> and you add magic into that and there're probably a lot more things like that too yeah like this the sky the sky turned black is that no it's not night i mean it's just it's just is that a problem, or is that just the wizard screwing around again? We don't... Problem, not problem. Am I going to panic, or... I'm going to give it half an hour, <laughs> and then we should send somebody to the tower. Yeah, and, and I'm... And, like, you can just like the panic buying. Like, people, like, are all running to, like... Just, just in case! The magic in question is not local. Like, it can be, like, some wizard a hundred miles away was... <laughs> Buttsing around like, oops, I put that town into total darkness. My bad. Lost track of that variable. And that is, that's interesting, too, because, like, I think that some of, like, the, the most interesting natural disasters are, like, the um, the tsunamis that are caused by earthquakes and, like, the total opposite end. Like, not opposite, but, like, earthquake in Alaska sets off tsunami in South Pacific. Right. And oh, so yeah. you have no idea, like, you know, what had happened or what occurred, you know, to cause that. But if you, like, had something similar with kind of, like, an effect of magic, that, like, something happens over here magically, and because of the magical fault lines or however it works, like, you get this weird backlash somewhere else, and it's like, what the, what just, we didn't do this, what just happened? Like, there's the big wizard battle where they, you know, one guy, like, rips the earth open and throws the other guy down, and because of that, like, you rip the earth open, and a thousand miles away, there's gotta be that equal and opposite reaction. You... You made a giant valley here, and now there's a new mountain that just, like, forced its way up to the middle of our town. What the hell? And, like, that could that could be an interesting story all in its own right, is, like, figuring out what happened. Especially if you're aware that magic is a thing, and it's like, okay, this happened. We're gonna fucking find the wizard that did this. <laughs> We're going to hunt that bastard down <laughs> and make him pay. And then, like... Our little band of plucky heroes has to go around go, finding different wizards and being like, did you do the thing? 
that fucked everything up. And they finally find like one clueless guy who doesn't realize that he's his mountain growing expedition, whatever it is that he's doing with his magic is actually completely fucking things up. And the other side of the world, he's like, well, I'm so sorry. Come on. He thought it wasn't working at all. He I thought it was a failed experiment. It's like, anything. Oh, like to come I thought I was going to get a mountain here. Like, hmm. like oh, whoa, darn. Sorry about your city. Sorry about that. I built this scale model of the nation and I didn't realize the things I was doing to the model. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We're actually happening in real life, so my bad. That, just, that all reminds me of a really cool true story about dating a legend um, in the Pacific Northwest, and I can't remember oh, which, is, is you know this one? Yes. With the, I, I can't yeah. remember who, which tribe it is that had a story of a, a tidal wave, a tsunami, and they weren't sure when it happened, and then eventually there was a, a lot of work done to cross-reference records with something that happened in Japan, and, and Japan's records were so meticulously dated that, like, scientists were able to figure out, like, where the underwater earthquake must have happened and, like, exactly when to cause this event in Japan and yes. British Columbia at yeah. the same time, yeah. you know? Like, it was like, like that's so cool. That's yeah. amazing science that we could figure out this, like, tale that got told. Yeah, and it was, I think it was like some of the earlier, like, you know, of, of course, the early white people who encountered the story like, didn't believe it, but it was, it was yeah. the story about that, the, the, no, really, the water got so high that the canoes were in the treetops. Yeah. The canoes ended up up there. They're <laughs> like, uh, not this sure. It sounds fake. Sounds fake. That sounds fake. <laughs> it's like, no, actually. But really, it, it, it did it in fact a happen. a massive, massive and, tidal wave. And, and could happen again was, was the context of yeah i yeah. think i i learned that story as part of a story about how like basically the entire western coast of north america could one day just yes. fall into the sea it basically like it it someday will happen to seattle and there's nothing yeah. any of us can do about it so we just don't talk about it we just pretend we don't know this <laughs> there's no way that you would be able to respond in time so we'll just pretend Sorry that I brought it up, by the way. I apologize. What's amazing is that humans will take that risk. Mm -hmm. Humans will absolutely roll those dice. The The episode of Doctor Who that is set in Pompeii, I love a lot about it. But one of the thing that, things that bugs me about it is that the episode acts like the people living in Pompeii didn't know what a volcano was. Like this was a new natural phenomenon to them. Which it was not. <laughs> I mean, there were volcanoes, you know, Mount Etna in Greece. Like, there's tons of volcanoes. Pompeii, I can't remember when Vesuvius had last erupted. It wasn't within living memory, but it was within written memory. And they knew that earthquakes tended to precede these disasters. And they fucking settled there anyway. <laughs> because volcanic ash makes really fertile soil. <laughs> so, like, eh, it might or might not happen. It hasn't done it for a while. We're probably fine. Humans will absolutely do that and just take the risk. Also a thing of like, yeah, the volcano will go, but it's the same thing of like, this hurricane's just going to be a category one. It's not a big deal. <laughs> It'll just be a little volcano. It'll, It'll be, be fine. Volcano. And, I, I, it's, and like for just like a range of like risk reward benefits too, right? Because like there's that element. Yes, the, the soil's really rich. It's worth it to risk this because good soil. All the way up to like the view is very nice. And so we're going to build on this barrier island that, in fact, exists naturally to be a buffer uh -huh. for the uh -huh. hurricane. My family owns property on a barrier island. 
and pretty much everyone who lives there knows those will be underwater someday. We just hope it's not in our lifetime. <laughs> we, just, we just don't talk about that. We're just... It's actually really interesting watching North Carolina deal with that because it probably will be and if not my lifetime then the next generation's lifetime we've seen the videos of those houses in Rodanth that were just abandoned and oh then yeah collapse into the sea i mean and that's and that is part of the infrastructure is that there are zones where you can't do any new construction and there are zones that have been completely evacuated and it's like we're not gonna bother tearing down this house nature will do it because that's gonna happen <laughs> it's just gonna do eventually but you got to move. You got to get out of there. <laughs> and I mean, and that's a factor of like, when do people decide, if they decide, who who knows to get out when the getting's good and who's like, we're going to ride it out until until the last possible second. And then it's been a good run. Oh, I guess we're underwater or under lava now. It's amazing to me that like, I think a big hurdle for a lot of people approaching fantasy is like, well, but wouldn't they, I mean, how, how would you live in a world where, like, that could happen? Where, you know, a, a wizard could snap his fingers and, like, we live in that world now. We just, <laughs> we have all of these psychological ways that we cope with it. But, but we live in that world. I mean, in a fantasy world, maybe you've got magical levees. Maybe you can build a, a, a magical barrier that stops the sea rising. We don't have that, and we still build. And we still do it. <laughs> the city of Miami still exists. The city yes. of New Orleans and Venice, Venice still yes. exists. Though there's also the factor in terms of, like, if you're doing all the incredible work that we and the people like us do to, like, create these cities and create these worlds, and you've built up your sandbox, do you really want to just then go smash it? I like, don't. That's going to break my heart to do that. You know, I would, I would have to go into it knowing that was my objective. Like, I would have to know I was writing that kind of story. Building this to crash it down. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because that's, that's kind of heartbreaking. But sometimes, sometimes you... I like, I like my cities too yeah. much. I don't yeah. want to do that to them. <laughs> Though it is fun to think about what might have happened to them, like before they hit the stage that I am building them, have they have they rebuilt already from several disasters? Did 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 my fantasy city have its version of the Great Chicago Fire, and mm-hmm. and it looks totally different now than it did two hundred years ago because everything's changed. Another element of change that you can play with, like we've talked about a lot, like worlds are not static; they don't just exist mm-hmm. unchanged, and disasters play a large role in changing. You know, not only what things look like, but how people think and interact with their world. That was actually part of my concept um, in our world behind um, Fjallanir is the idea that this river had flooded. Um, They'd had a thousand year flood and had to rebuild most of the city. So the portions closer to the river are where people have lived the longest, but it's some of the newer architecture. And it is built to withstand floods in a different way than, you know, the layers that came before it. Whereas like the outskirts of the city, people haven't been living as, haven't been inhabited for as long, but they're not built in the same way and they're still more chaotic. And like, that is a culture that has learned like, oh, we're used to the little floods, but apparently really big ass floods can happen too. We should prepare for that now, now that we know that that can happen. So do 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 our snail licking friends prepare for disasters or do they just... Do they accept just accept them as, they come? them as they come? I think they're very big <laughs> accept them as they come kind of people. I mean... 
Easy come, easy go. I, th- I mean, I think, I mean, I think they got a certain amount of zen about that. Like, you know, like if the hurricane is coming, and they probably get some hurricanes there, that you're just a little person standing on a beach. There's nothing you can do. So. I bet they have bitchin' hurricane parties, though. So <laughs> if you're going to die in the hurricane, yeah. Why make those last hours be like where you're worrying about shit when you could be having the rager to end it all in? And then if you live, even better, you lived. <laughs> have a party to celebrate you lived. <laughs> I think that's very much their culture is just sort of taking it in stride and... And I think, yeah, that the hurricanes are common enough that, A, the buildings are probably at least built to, like, be aware of that. Like, I think they're solidly built. But at the same time, common enough that it's like, that's just what happens. And So they kind of think they, they have reasonable infrastructure to kind of be a bit of a bulwark against the storm. Yeah. They don't have to actually but then you just, actively then, then, rebuild. Then you just let, just let it yeah. go. So you just kind of, you know, it's we've, we have made our preparations, but at this point, why worry? Exactly. I think, I think that's their vibe. As far as, like, that kind of... But, like, if there was a natural disaster that they were... Like, if there was, like, that once-in-a-millennium snowstorm, like, they would just be so unprepared. And then, then they'd be questioning everything. They'd be... <laughs> Is this I, imagine, frozen I can water? imagine, like, panic doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's, it's, it's... It's that full-blown, burn everything yeah. down, <laughs> nothing is sacred, nothing, <laughs> nothing matters, completely lost their mind panic. Of course, in a world as interconnected as ours, you know, snow is a thing they would know exists, even if... Oh, sure. They don't experience it themselves that often, so it'd be like... But this would be the, the truly learning what, what snow is. I, I thought I understood, and now I really know. This sucks. <laughs> you know what? I could actually see that, like, somewhere, like, buried deep, deep, deep in their mythology is, like, because there was that, like, once in a millennium snowstorm. And so they, like, that is their perception of what the end of the world is. <laughs> so... It is it is cold. <laughs> and it is not fun. <laughs> and everything Y'all is Y'all and Yuri are like, we're a little offended by this world. <laughs> but like, in terms of, like they know snow exists in other parts of the world, but for them, it's, it's not a thing. So like that might even, that might even be like the equivalent of saying when hell freezes over. It's like, oh yeah, when it snows in Griasta. I wonder if maybe deep in their cultural mythology, like the last time it snowed triggered a, a societal shift of yeah. some kind. Like that's that's when they found this new ethos of theirs and <laughs> became the people they are today. And if it snows again, who knows, who what, knows what what they'll have happen. to do. They'll Like they were meticulous planners and then there was a thousand year snow and then they were just like what's the point in meticulously planning when that can when something like that can happen and all your plans are gone anytime. <laughs> anytime so such a shame we can't bring snowballs through the mng because <laughs> that would be fun. just run through pelt somebody and then run back <laughs> out. i think the elnut leary would have 
a lot of like tropical storms and and this would would be not uncommon for for a a archipelago like they are but since they do so much trade i would imagine they have a ton of scaffolding built around the risk of losing a ship in a storm yeah like they're mostly fine at home like they've got the buildings and the infrastructure to kind of deal with that and that's not you know a huge deal but it's the it's the risk taken in sending a ship out that they're like oh that's what we have to think about but they probably have like a full-on monsoon season where it's just like yes yeah that's what's happening these three months it's wet (laughs) is what it is so just run with it i don't i don't know if we've i mean marshall probably did but like the the plate tectonics of yes, our world, and I was archipelago. Too, I'm I, like, do you have earthquakes and volcanoes? I, I imagine it. Well, I was thinking also of tidal waves. Like I think that somewhere yep. deep in their in their lore of their history, there's there's a disaster story of when when the ocean swallowed an island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when and, it got completely washed and, over, and... and no one really like understands exactly what happened. Like we're starting to understand these things, but not completely. I think at our tech level, scientific level in our world. And so there's there's kind of this like, that's from those underlying societal anxieties that no one talks about is that someday the ocean could swallow us, and we. There were a people, and we still have some charts that have that island. Yep. But. Yeah. Or or the island is there. But. But the people are all yeah. gone. <laughs> like. The ocean. The ocean swallowed the island and ate all the people. And we <laughs> now it's we the cursed island. Don't now, quite know what that means. We don't go there. How we feel. We don't about go that. there. Yeah, we're not resettling and, that and island. I think they're, they're kind of, I think they're sort of a repressive people in that way. There's gonna, there's, and we're not, not going to think about it. <laughs> we are going to control the risks that we can control, and we're not going to talk about the fact that. That'd be great for visitors too, because visitors. I'm like, what about that island over there? No. How come we never get no? no. What <laughs> island? No. But no, that one right there. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Eh? <laughs> this is being just that exact level of repressed. They don't even say no. They just change the subject every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what about that island over there? Well, it's. Have you heard the latest symphony from? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about time what? for huh? dinner now. We should be heading on back up. I think. I think it is that 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 kind of that kind of. Um... When you don't talk about something and you just kind of gloss right on over it, I think they would share that yeah. with. Well, I think I think we can hope that 2023 does not bring us many disasters, but minimal minimal does, number of feel, of disasters. Feel slightly more prepared. Ever so slightly, hopefully. Ever so slightly. If anything terrible happens, just call on Mages Without Borders. Exactly. Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on February 1st, where G.R. McAllister, author of Scorpica and Arca, joins us to talk about genre and gender bending. 
If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical book we write, including pre-ordering Cass's latest, The Bloodstained Shade, Rowena's The Fairy Bargain of Prospect Hill, or my new novelette, Hultachaya, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochist.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.